0: So as Michael pointed out, today's going to be very different. We are going to focus our entire worship this morning uh, around the table, around the Lord's Supper. And everything we do is going to be preparing ourselves for that. That's how we're going to end our service this morning. Um, One of the things that makes us unique in the landscape of churches in America today is that we partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week when we come together. We think there's good reason for that. But we also understand that as people come and they visit, They might find that different, and they might wonder why we do that. And so we're going to explore some of that today, just a a teaching reminder of what it is that we do when we gather around the table, why it is that we do it, what makes this so powerful and so beautiful. And so we're going to talk about that together. So I invite you to focus your hearts and your minds on the cross, on the empty tomb, on the table that he shared with his disciples. Uh, on the brothers and sisters that are around you this morning as we fellowship together and remember the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. As we do that, we're going to go through some scriptures, but we're going to also sing some songs that help specifically focus our minds on what it is that we're doing. I want to invite us to think about a few different things this morning, mostly focused on the terminology that we used around the Lord's Supper and what that communicates about its purpose and the joy that we find in celebrating it together. But before we get into that, I want to begin with a quote. This comes from one of the early church fathers, a man named Justin Martyr. And he wrote a work called His First Apology in which he is describing to a pagan world the joys of Christianity. It's a defense of the Christian faith. And he lays out in his writing one of the most beautiful descriptions we find in early Christianity of what a Sunday would have looked like. What did the early church look like when it gathered together? And we find a primitive beauty and simplicity in the way that he describes the Sunday assembly. And in the midst of this quote is a few lines about the taking of the Lord's Supper. And what I want you to see in this is how central it was to what the early church did, the reason behind why they gathered together on the first day of the week. And they did this every first day of the week, as Scripture also indicates to us. One of the reasons that I think some denominations have moved away historically from taking the Lord's Supper every Sunday is a fear that by doing it every week, it might become commonplace or routine and lose its significance. And in reply to that, I would just say, nobody stops singing every first day of the week for fear that it becomes too routine. No one stops preaching every first day of the week for fear that it becomes too routine. Nobody gives up prayer every first day of the week for fear that it becomes routine. So I think those fears are mostly misplaced. That is on us. If we let it become routine, that's entirely on us. This is a beautiful thing that we get to celebrate, and to reflect on the goodness of our God is overwhelming. If you were in our class this morning, David did such a good job just simply reminding us of how good our God is, and that's what we do when we gather around the table. So let me share with you Justin Martyr. By the way, this is a a quote that um, is from a translation that Dr. Everett Ferguson did years ago. Uh, If you're not familiar with him, He's labored for years and years at Abilene Christian University. He is a scholar and an expert in church history. And he has done an excellent job of helping the church know what the early Christians wrote and said about their theology and the practices that they put in place. And so I'm indebted to his work. And even a lot of what I'm going to say this morning, I leaned heavily on some work that he's done in the past. This is what Justin Martyr said. This is the the middle of the second century. On the day called Sunday, there is a gathering together in the same place of all who live in a given city or rural district. The memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader ceases, the president in a discourse admonishes and urges the imitation of these good things. That's preaching, isn't it? Next, we all rise together and we send up prayers. When we cease from our prayer, bread is presented and wine with water, He's talking about the emblems that make up the Lord's Supper. And that wine with water, I think, is just a reference to the fact that in the early Roman world, they would often dilute the wine with water. So I don't think he's talking about two separate things, but those things mixed together, the, the bread and the fruit of the vine. The president, in the same manner, sends up prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability, and the people sing out their assent, saying the Amen. A distribution and participation of the elements for which thanks have been given is made to each person. And to those who are not present, they are sent by the deacons. It was so important that the whole congregation take part in this together that if you weren't able to be there, the deacons would go and find you and and help serve it to you then. Those who have means and are willing, each according to his own choice, gives what he wills. And what is collected is deposited with the president. He provides for the orphans and widows those who are in need on account of sickness or some other cause, those who are in bonds, strangers who are sojourning, and in a word, he becomes the protector of all who are in need. We all make it our assembly in common on Sunday, since it is the first day on which God changed the darkness and matter and made the world, and Jesus Christ our Savior arose from the dead on the same day. For they crucified him on the day before Saturn's day, Saturday, And on the day after, which is the day of the sun, he appeared to his apostles and disciples and taught these things, which we have offered for your consideration. And I offer them for your consideration this morning. It's such a beautiful description of how simple the assembly of the early churches. And we do our best to imitate that today. But at the heart of their assembly every first day of the week was this, the Lord's Supper, communion. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Let me share with you some of the terminology that we use. And let's think about it. Number one is the thanksgiving or the Eucharist. And that's a term that we don't use often in the church today, the Eucharist. But when you survey early Christians, this was the term they used more than anything else in referencing the Lord's Supper. It was the Eucharist. If you remember uh, back in John chapter 6, we talked about this a little bit in our lesson from that chapter. That word is taken from the Greek word that's used in Matthew. In Matthew 26, where Jesus institutes his supper... He gives thanks, and that word just means to give thanks. And so when the early church referenced what we call communion or the Lord's Supper, the term that they used was a giving of thanks. For them, this was the primary way that God's people gathered together and offered their thanks to him. Thanks for all of the blessings they had given him. And of course, the greatest blessing of all is what? The sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. This was the way that they gave their thanks back to God. So let me share with you this passage out of Matthew chapter 26, and I encourage you to follow along. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 17. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him. The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and they began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written of him, But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, "'Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi.' Jesus answered, "'You have said so.' While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, "'Take and eat. This is my body.' Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And I encourage you to think about this aspect of the Lord's Supper this morning, this act of thanksgiving that we engage in. When we gather together on any given Sunday and we partake of the Lord's Supper, what does your mind settle on? What, what mood overcomes you? What are you thinking about? Do you ever think about thanksgiving? Do you think of it as an act of thanksgiving? Do you frame it in that way in your mind and in your heart. We're going to talk about remembrance in just a minute. That's primarily what we focus on today when we talk about the Lord's Supper. But I would encourage you today to add to that, those ways that you think about the Lord's Supper, think about it as an act of thanksgiving. This is our Eucharist. This is the way that we explain to God how grateful we are for what he has done for us. And the greatest gift of all, the sending of his son to die on our behalf. So I encourage you to think about that, the thanksgiving. I encourage you to think about this, the fact that we call it the Lord's Supper. Why do we do that? Turn over, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 17. 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 17. The church in Corinth was divided over a great many things. And even in coming together for the Lord's Supper, they had found a reason to divide instead of come together. And Paul is very critical of this, and he's addressing this issue in their congregation. And so, starting in verse 17, he says this, he says, In the following directives I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. And understand what he's saying. You come together for the purpose of the Lord's Supper, but what you end up doing is not the Lord's Supper because you turn it into a cause for division instead of a cause for communion. And so this is what he goes, and that's where we get our terminology, the Lord's Supper. It's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you you despise the church of God? By humiliating those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. A church that comes together for the Lord's Supper and ends up humiliating those who are in need and causing more division, causing more harm than good, is the way Paul puts it. That's quite an accusation to levy against a group of God's people. The reason I want to read this is not to lay that same kind of accus- accusation against us. thats I'm not here to criticize us. I think what we do is beautiful. But to encourage you to think about this idea of this supper being the Lord's supper. You go back to Matthew chapter 26 in the context of that Passover meal, and Jesus is clearly in that setting the host of the Passover meal. He would be the lamb that was slain. But he's also the host in that environment. And I want to encourage you this morning to think about the Lord's Supper again in that context. That we are being hosted by the Lord. We're sharing a table with him. This is his meal. And we get to be a part of it. I don't know if you ever think about it that way. But I would encourage you to think about it that way this morning. That Jesus is hosting us. We are guests gathered around his table. And what we do, continuing on is in memory of him. And so, let's pick up where we left off in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 23. For I received from the Lord, Paul writes, what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. So now he's referencing the gospel accounts, like the one we read from Matthew. So the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Or another way to translate that is, do this as a memorial to me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. How many of you grew up in churches where at the front was a big wooden table and the Lord's Supper emblems were there and what was carved into the front of it? Do this in remembrance of me, right? In fact, there's one back there still, okay? You can see it. Why did we highlight that aspect? Because this is what Jesus himself encouraged us to do when we partake of the Lord's Supper as guests around his hosted banquet. What are we doing? We are memorializing him. We are remembering the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. Let's uh, look at verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I think we naturally understand the memorial part of things. We memorialize those who pass on. Someone you love and you admire dies. You memorialize them. You remember them. We did it for someone we loved this morning, didn't we? That's a natural part of the way that we process this information, as a memorial. But what about a proclamation? Proclamation. What does that have to do with anything we do here? Why is it Paul gives us instruction, okay, Jesus told you to remember him, but then Paul goes on and says, when we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death. And if you survey the way that Paul uses that word in other places in his writings, it's often synonymous with preaching. Preaching. A proclamation, a declaration of what we believe to be true. That when we gather and we take the Lord's Supper, we are making a bold proclamation to the world that not only is Jesus dead, but what? He's coming back. Because the Savior that we serve is not a dead Savior, He is a living Savior. And so this is not a memorial the way that we think about memorials usually. In other words, this is not a funeral service. We are not lamenting the loss of a loved one. We are not lamenting the fact that someone has died and remains buried. Do you remember Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost? In Acts chapter 2? Talking about David, I can confidently say to you, brethren, that David died and he's buried and we can do what? Visit his tomb to this day. But Jesus... Has been raised. God has raised him up. We serve a living Savior. Oftentimes, I think when we gather, we're so focused on the memorial part as if this is part of a, a funeral remembrance. But I don't serve a Savior who's in the grave. I serve a Savior who is raised to the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And what I am proclaiming in this memorial is, yes, he died, but he was raised and he is coming back again. And I don't know about you, but if I gathered to celebrate someone who raised from the dead, that would look a lot different from a normal funeral, wouldn't it? There is proclamation, bold proclamation in what we do. And I think joy should be at the heart of that proclamation. So I encourage you to think about the memorial, but also the proclamation that we take part in today. And then the last thing I want to get you to think about is another word we use all the time, communion. What is this? What do you call it? The Lord's Supper or communion? That's typically what we call it, right? If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, so just the chapter before we're at now, it's an interesting passage because the context is Paul is talking about whether Christians can eat meat that has been sacrificed to pagan idols. But we're going to look over that for a minute and just focus on one thing that he says. He says in verses 16 and 17, "...is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks..." A participation in the blood of Christ. He's talking about the Lord's Supper. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. So I'm reading from the NIV, and most modern English translations translate it the same way, the word participation. When we take these emblems together, are we not participating in the body and blood of Jesus? King James Version has... Communion. Are we not communing together? The word communion comes from this concept that Paul is talking about here. There is fellowship taking place when we participate in the Lord's Supper. We recognize that when we drink the fruit of the vine and we eat that bread, we are participating in the body and the blood of our Lord, but we're also recognizing at the same time that we are the body of our Lord, correct? And that communion that takes place is so vital to what we do. And so I'm going to leave you with that thought because what we're going to do this morning is going to be a little different. It is difficult to take 150 to 200 people and gather around one table, right? I don't know anybody who has a table that big. Okay? But we can gather around tables. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And I'll give you some instructions in just a minute. But I'd like for us to really, this morning, focus on the communion part, the community that we're a part of. The body of Jesus that we are all partaking in as members of that body. Sometimes we can get too focused on logistics. we got a lot of people. We only have so much time. How do we do this as quickly and efficiently as possible, right? And if I'm over there and Glenn's way over there, yes, technically I'm communing with him because we're in the same room. But it'd be awful nice sometimes to commune in a closer setting, wouldn't it? I mean, really, the only people I get to share that with in a physical way are the the people in the pew next to me, my family. And so what we're going to do is we're going to create a space this morning where we get to share table space with each other, where we get to commune together in a way that we normally don't. And I hope that you will find that encouraging and beneficial. So in a minute, uh, I'm going to give you some instructions. But just for now, look around the room if you would. Okay, we've got, I think, a dozen different tables set up. They're in the front, they're at the sides, they're in the back. So maybe be thinking about which one you can get to easiest. Um, if you have mobility issues, or if this is just really not something you want to be a part of, I understand that. That's fine. You can remain seated. If you'd like to partake by yourself, just raise your hand, and uh, one of our gentlemen in the back will make sure that you get the emblems. But I strongly encourage you to find a table, to gather around that table, and let's share a table space with Jesus as our host, remembering what he did for us, and proclaiming to the world that we serve a living Savior. And let's do it all as an act of thanksgiving, declaring to God how grateful we are for everything he's done for us, but more than anything for the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. So at this point in time, I encourage you to stand again. Skeeter's going to lead us in a couple more songs. And after that, I'll get up and I'll give you some further instructions. Find a table and gather around it. The emblems are in a basket in the middle. If you Just gather around. um, Take one of the cups. And as you're gathering to help prepare us one final time, I'm going to read a passage from Romans chapter 5. Part of it was actually read already this morning, but I'm going to read the bigger context. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So would you get your bread ready and bow with me as we go to God in thanksgiving. Father in heaven, we praise your name and we thank you this morning. We thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace, for the sacrifice that you made, that Christ made on our behalf, Uh, for a love that knows no measure. We're so grateful that we stand here before you this morning, reconciled by the blood of your Son. We're thankful for the love that he had, that even though he could have, at any moment, opted not to make the sacrifice he did. His love for us was so great. And his love for you was so powerful that your will drove him forward, that he gave up his body on the cross for our behalf. And as we think about that body now, God, we pray that you bless us and bring us hope. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Let's pray again as we ask a blessing on the fruit of the vine. Father, as we think about the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for us, as we think about the pain that he endured, as we think about the loneliness that he suffered, God, we are overwhelmed by your goodness and by your love. And we pray that every opportunity we have to gather around the table to remember your son in this way, that we will be filled with thanksgiving. That we will be mindful of each other, striving to grow closer to each other in what we do. And that we will boldly proclaim to this world around us that we remember a Savior that died, but also a Savior that raised. And as he sits at your hand now, God, we long for his return. And we look forward to the day that you send him to take us home. That we can do this all anew with you in the kingdom of heaven. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody, this is what I would ask you to do now. I'm going to give you a few minutes to talk with the people at your table, Uh, not about NFL games or the news or the weather, but about spiritual things. Would you take a few minutes just to share with each other, offer an encouragement, ask each other what's going on that you might be praying about. Take a few minutes, fellowship, encourage, love on each other. And at the end of that, find someone in your group that you can designate Uh, to lead a prayer on behalf of your group and give you a few minutes to do that go ahead
1: today was a special day and uh, thankful for everyone being here today especially if you're our guest today and uh, just want you to know you're our honored guest and uh and you're welcome here anytime that 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 we're here uh we want to take a moment also we Uh, each week when we do communion we usually will follow it up with the opportunity to give back to the Lord that which has been we've been blessed with and and uh, and so there's a number of ways that you can do that in this congregation we have a couple of online apps that uh, you can give and in the back there would be a place a basket that you can make a contribution uh, you know as well. I want to thank Jason for the lesson today and for organizing this and and uh, and and this week if you as you get the opportunity say a good word about the Lord to someone because in the world today the world needs it right Amen. Boy, that's a fact alright well let's pray together and be dismissed father our God in heaven we are so thankful as we continue to stand in front of your throne of grace and mercy father we just need grace and mercy so much in our lives father we just Pray that you would just bless every family, every person, every individual, every child, that you would bless the eldership, you would bless our deacons, you would bless, Father, uh, our ability to be the church that you would have us to be, that, Father, we could share the love of Christ with others that yet don't know Him but desperately so need to know Him. Father, we pray that you dismiss us today and you dismiss us in peace and give us safety as we travel home. It's in Christ's name. Amen.
2: Amen. I'm in the way the